Welcome to the Hollywood and Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 124 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, The Right Take on Entertainment. This week we speak with Dan Granger, CEO and founder of the Oxford Road Ad Agency. He's been following that disturbing woke boycott trend, and he's got plenty to say on the subject. You know, in the age of Trump, it's just impossible not to have a thick skin, especially when you cover Hollywood like I do. Is there a plan B? I think so. Stars play the Trump is Hitler card almost every week. Pundits claim that both Trump and his supporters are racist, sexist, you know the drill. And this whole immoral shtick about the concentration camps on our southern border, please. It takes a lot to shock me. But I recently got an email from Showtime saying, hey, look at our new episode of Our Cartoon President. Well, it did shock me, and I still think I'm having a hard time processing it. The show is executive produced by Stephen Colbert, shocking, and it's all about President Trump, making fun of him, his administration, the usual. Well, so what? I mean, you know, it's orange man bad all over again, right? This is political satire in our age. It's hopelessly one-sided, it's often not very funny, but that's where the comedy culture is right now for the most part. Thank heavens for the Babylon Bee, by the way. I'm not losing my cool over it. I don't freak out ever I see Jimmy Kimmel owning President Trump over X or Y, it doesn't really matter. And, you know, listen, once in a while, Trump brings it on himself. But generally speaking, it's one-sided and it just is what it is. Not this time. This one was different. So our cartoon president's most recent episode, which is airing this Sunday, shows Trump fighting back against those conservatives who are under fire. And then it goes on to describe how righty righty people are getting booted off of Twitter and all the social media platforms, about Trump officials are getting chased out of restaurants and spat upon. And of course, what isn't mentioned, which I couldn't help but think about, was Tucker Carlson. A bunch of Antifa protesters went to his house and says, we know where you sleep. They woke up his wife. They scared his wife half to death. It's beyond repugnant. Or as Showtime sees it, Hilarious. Now, the episode in question has Trump gathering his team to fight back against these attacks. He's going to rally some new legislation to kind of even the playing field so conservatives can actually, you know, be American and have their freedom and not get attacked. Of course, in this realm, they're called whiny for being attacked in the first place. And that whole discrimination thing, well, that's Trump's fault. You can't expect them to be treated normally, right? And of course, in this five-plus-minute snippet of the show, you have a whole bunch of GOT types who are just shown as racist, including Ben Shapiro. Are you laughing yet? I mean, this is really, really ugly. And I have to say, it's not just a particular show. It's showtime, guys. It's a network which I'm assuming wants Republicans and Democrats to subscribe and be a part of its service. Only it's pretty much A-OK with conservatives being banned and mocked and attacked and spit upon. And if you complain about it, well, you're just a bunch of wimps. 
I feel like I'm getting to be a broken record in this, but I cover Hollywood. This is my gig. And it's getting really hard when key industry players aren't just ignoring the tax on conservative Americans. They're either cheering them on or laughing about it. I'm just amazed. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at myhealthpolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at myhealthpolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called myhealthpolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. Now, here's the celebrity tweet of the week. This week's winner should be Joss Whedon, but I have to say, I read his latest anti-Trump tweet, and it made me feel a little bad for him. I think he needs counseling. I mean, me, he and Bette Midler should get together and just have joint counseling. Maybe you can you know, save a little money that way, work out some issues, you know, just kind of get better because you need to get better because you're broken, okay? So I want to fall back and just go with Ron Perlman. I love making fun of Ron Perlman here, in part, because Ron Perlman falls into the Mueller report trap again. Now, I've been tracking how Hollywood has been working with the Mueller report. It's been pretty interesting. At first, the Mueller report was going to bring Trump down. You had Robert De Niro on Saturday Night Live every other week saying, the walls are closing in. And then the Mueller report came out, no collusion, no obstruction, and Hollywood was devastated, like the left and like the mainstream media, because they're all one and the same. And then something funny happened. Hollywood started to reclaim the Mueller report. We saw these PSA-style videos with different actors saying, look, 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 it's Impeachmentville, it's Impeachmentville. And they even did a live reading of the Mueller report with so many famous actors, including my beloved Kevin Klein. Oh, say it ain't so, Mr. Fischoder. Now, Ron Perlman, sadly, is in this particular group. He might be their president. The the former Sons of Anarchy star just can't quit the Mueller report and the Russian collusion hoax. How do we know that? Well, check out this tweet he shared after Trump's wonderfully apolitical July 4th celebration on the National Mall. Gotta be the most well-attended Russian May Day parade in American history. It's a religion now, folks. You might as well start building churches where they could all sing from the same hymnals. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. My hit tip of the week is the best of enemies. The true story behind this racially charged drama sounds like a complete and utter fairy tale. You have a Ku Klux Klan member on one side who finds common ground with a black activist in the segregated South. It's crazy. And it really happened. Sam Rockwell plays the Ku Klux Klan guy, Taraji P. Henson is the black activist, and they are both terrific here. He's a hater, but he's got that intellectual strength to look 
a little bit beyond his biases. She's a fighter, for sure, but she also refuses to give up on anyone, including this guy, even though she probably should. Naturally, critics hated the best of enemies. Well, any story showing racial conciliation, it's suspect. You can't just do that. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's like the Green Book. You can't, well, Green Book got Best Picture, and it's a wonderful movie, but a lot of critics on the left, and I repeat myself, just aren't happy when they see people of different ethnic groups working together, pushing past their hate, and getting to actually respect and even love each other. Now, this is an Oscar bait time here. The Best of Enemies is a good movie, not a great one, but well-crafted, it's interesting. And if you haven't heard this story, and I hadn't until this movie came along, you really need to watch it. It's just amazing what we're all capable of, how we can all kind of tune in to our better selves and tune out all the other stuff, all the noise in our culture and do the right thing. It's amazing. The Best of Enemies just came out in home video and streaming services. I think you'll enjoy it. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. Dan Granger isn't a singer, actor, or director. He doesn't have a YouTube channel with millions of subscribers. So, at first blush, the CEO of Oxford Road Advertising Agency seems like an odd fit for the headcast, right? Look again. Dan has been really closely following not just the media landscape in general with his ad agency, but also our rush to boycott, well, everything we can possibly boycott. He's got some very sharp views on the subject, as well as a hopeful take on why this boycott trend may eventually lose steam. It hasn't happened yet, no doubt, but he's got some hope and he's going to explain why. Now, more importantly, why does this all matter? What does it say about our culture? Should we really care that a Fox News personality is getting pounded by certain people and being chased off the air potentially? Well, yeah, sure it does. And Dan's here to help flesh things out, explain why, and also give more context to the situation and even connected to another point in history where we didn't exactly behave our best selves, that's for sure. Here's my chat with Dan Granger. Well, Dan, thanks for joining the show. Now, before we get into this whole boycott culture movement we've been seeing in recent years, I wanted to start real quickly about the Hollywood blacklist era because it fascinates me. We've seen films about it, documentaries. When you when you look back at that era, what's your significant takeaway from that particular chapter in our history? And, and do you see anything going on now that connects to it or has influences around it? What, what's your, I want to kind of connect the two just, or maybe you will say that they're so different that they shouldn't be connected. Uh, I don't want to put too yeah, many absolutely. words around. Thanks for having me. And I think that that's a really good point in history to look at um, what happens when you start assigning affiliations and disassociating with people or, or refusing to do business with people based on a set of beliefs and how that can go awry. Um, I think that there's a lot that what's going on in the marketplace today has in common with that and a lot that's very different. Mm -hmm. So let's start with what's different because I I don't want to be too alarmist about this. Um, This is not something that I believe is state sponsored in any way. This is not something where people are uh, being called before grand juries and asked to testify about their beliefs and associations. Nobody's going to prison over it. I don't know of anybody that's um, committed suicide over it. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that the stakes are lower today. That doesn't mean it couldn't happen, but it, it, I don't think that's what's happening now. But I do think that the the parallels are there in that we've got guilt by association at play. I mean, there is a, a great deal of McCarthyism going on. And, you know, as we talk more, I'm sure 
Um, everything happening with Nike this week uh, is a good example of that where, you know, now uh, just based on the time period in which you were born, uh, you can be associated with things that you may have had hmm. no desire to be a part of um, and have your legacy tarnished as a result. So, um, so, so I think that, yeah, it's, it's got many things in common, but, but also differences that are worth noting. Sure. And I appreciate that because I think in today's times, it's just like Hitler, all the rhetoric is getting so over the top. Let's kind of lower the temperature, but really kind of dig into things. I mean, I don't think we should avoid these topics, but I also think we should have a, a bit of perspective. Uh, right. When we look at the modern boycott efforts that uh, we've seen it with Fox News and other companies and other advertisers, are there specific organizations that are doing more of the heavy lifting or spreading the word or kind of organizing that, that help make these boycotts possible? Absolutely. You know, one of the challenges um, in the way that media might cover it or the way that brands look at it is, is they think that this is a movement of the people, which it absolutely is not. This is machine politics uh, in the worst kind of way. And one of the, you know, the most organized in this is Media Matters. And then you've got uh, groups like Sleeping Giants and MoveOn.org. But, you know, so I, I signed up uh, for Media Matters to see, you know, how are they positioning uh, these protests to people that, that are a part of their group. And they say, you know, thank you for joining the fight to hold Fox News accountable. But then they say companies that do business with Fox News are enabling bigotry, lies, and conspiracy theories. I mean, they're just being as black and white as can be and basically saying, there's, there, look, there's good guys, there's bad guys, and these are the bad guys uh, wearing black hats. And, you know, we, if you're either with us uh, or against us, in, mm -hmm. in a sense, where you can't have, you know, what I believe about humanity, which is people are a whole bunch of different things all at the same time. Um, people have uh, negative sides and people have positive sides as do organizations and they're they're discounting what value there might be in uh, in uh, free and open discussion um, about issues that are important to us and they're basically saying they listen nothing good can come of this um, you know we have to put we have to stop them from from saying this kind of thing and it, and it seems like you know they work their way down from the top they find the people that are the most, um, uh, the, the people that have the highest audience reaches and, you know, they're, they're trying to pick them off one at a time. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about Fox News is there may be a host who happens to say something that I would disagree with, or I would think that sort of be journalistically shaky, but maybe it'd be better to kind of educate that host and, and have them understand that, hey, this was wrong, not just have them summarily dismissed off the air. It seems like it's I don't think anyone really win-wins from that situation. Uh, you mentioned some of the groups. Where is their power? Because I often think, and I think a lot of my friends on Twitter do this, where they go, you know, Twitter isn't real life. And a lot of the sort of the themes and memes we're seeing aren't reflected across the culture. And yet I think a lot of times a company may see sort of that social media energy and, and act fast and, you know, go into the boycott mode. But it's not real life. So how do these organizations... Uh, I guess, mimic real life? Or how do they get the clout to make the change? Yeah, so part of it is is um, approaching programming that they've already targeted and monitoring it very closely. I mean, they are listening and watching everybody that they have identified and put on their own sort of blacklist. And they basically 
monitor for any time that they say anything that they can go, oh, look, see, they did it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's like a tattletale standing in the corner just watching, waiting for somebody to screw up or even do anything that gives the appearance of screwing up. And then they go, hey, everybody, did you see what they did? They're, you know, they're this, they're that, they're the other thing. There's absolutely no, um, there's no uh, visible intent of trying to consider maybe there's another side to this. Mm-hmm. Maybe they might, you know, maybe they may not have meant it the way that you're saying that they meant it. Maybe they, maybe they misspoke, you know, that they, or, or maybe it's possible that they believe something different than you, but they're actually not hateful about it. And, and so I think that, um, what they do is they, you know, there are mo- a lot of the times professionals that are doing the monitoring and professionals that are organizing the initial wave of reactions. And then they're reaching out to real people who are affiliated with the organizations and saying, OK, this is who we're setting our sights on to target right now. Mm-hmm. Let's take them out. I mean, so I used to work in local radio and I was a, uh, an account executive uh, at what is now iHeartwood at the time was Clear Channel. Uh, when the Sandra Fluke issue broke with Rush Limbaugh and you know, you couldn't touch him with a 10 foot pole as a brand because you would be under assault. But what was interesting is we started evaluating the letters that were coming into to advertisers and, and you know, the things that looked like a boycott or a protest. And we found out that, you know, a lot of these people are writing from other parts of the country where they don't even get the signal for the radio station. <laughs> so how is somebody, you know, in uh, Sarasota, Florida, going to care about a, uh, a radio signal in Los Angeles and say, I can't believe this local advertiser would, you know, support this. <laughs> well, how did they know about that in the first place? And a yeah. lot of the, the Twitter handles were manufactured and they weren't even necessarily real people. So, you know, if this were really a movement of the people, I think that um, brands should probably give them more weight than they do. Um, but I think right now it's the other way where they're getting a disproportionate amount of uh, appearance, uh, the appearance of influence, when in fact it really is, um, it, it's very much hyped up in terms of the actual outrage. And if you give it a news cycle, these things generally go away. Yeah, interesting point. I'm glad you had that perspective. Uh, one of the companies that I heard had pulled some advertising off of Fox News, I think it was Bayer Aspirin. And then I believe that they later just resume their ad buys on the network. Does that happen more often than we think? Because I think the initial pull is what gets the headlines and maybe the oops, we're back, maybe doesn't get a lot of attention. Right. Now, I think it's it's the fact that... um Somebody started reporting on the on the the fact that these companies a lot of times do return uh, is starting to highlight something that's been going on behind the scenes for a long time. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know, we're, I'm in the performance business now. My agency we track the results of every campaign and every uh, line item of spend on any media platform. And you know, the challenge that you have as a brand is that not only do you know that that reaching conservative um, opinion-driven content, reaching people there, um, is really important to make sure that you're hitting large pockets of the country. Um, It's also really important if you value a return on investment for your ad spend, because these consumers that listen to that type of programming or watch that type of programming generally have, not only are there a lot of them, they have a lot of discretionary income, and the ads work really, really well. So Mm -hmm. you'll see, if you do a cable buy, and you buy across you know, dozens of different networks, a lot of times Fox is going to be your leading driver of sales, um, as are the, you know, the talk radio personalities 
that are most often targeted. And so it, any advertiser that's paying attention to that realizes either before, during, or after they pull their ads that this is actually starting to harm their business. Mm -hmm. And certainly, I don't think that the quote-unquote boycotts are adversely affecting sales um, as much as they are a hassle for everyone. <laughs> um, but they, but, but they're far more impacted by a loss in sales when they pull the ad. So it makes total sense that they go back, or at least they just want to duck it during the news cycle. Yeah. So you know, people people pull out for different reasons, and you know, I, I think there's a reason to pull out when these things happen in, in cases where. You know, if the host said something that was pretty black and white and, and disagrees with the values you're promoting as a company, if they were clearly um, disrespectful of other individuals and their opinions and beliefs and values, um, I, I think that there there's definitely a good reason to say, hey, we're going to take a break and we're going to look into this and we're going to see – you know, is this something that we believe we can continue to operate within our company's mm -hmm. mission and values and really evaluate if this is going to be a fit? I haven't seen anybody say that. <laughs> I see everybody, you know, just doing knee jerk reactions and going like we're out or we disagree with this host. And it's like, well, you didn't disagree before somebody started calling you out for supporting it. But all of a sudden now you're going public and wanting to be a hero. You know, that's a very immature reaction, in my view, when you start taking a stand against the program that you were previously sponsoring just because you got busted. <laughs> um, you know, but but if somebody actually wanted to pull out and say, hey, we're, we're just going to take a minute here and assess and, and be slow to, you know, not rush to judgment one way or the other, I think that that would probably be a very wise decision um, and that nobody would really be able to fault them for. Um, if they're being rational about it, but unfortunately, I don't see people doing it for that reason. You said a, a, a key word that kind of caught my attention is immaturity. And I almost think that when it comes to the American people and social media, we're new to it. We, we haven't been steeped in it for decades. And I think a lot of it is sort of a getting to know you situation. Do you think that maybe what we're witnessing today with these sort of uh, knee-jerk boycotting efforts, maybe they'll slow just as we realize that this is the cycle that, you know, it's sort of sort of a let's stand down, let's reassess, let's take a deep breath, which should be the reaction to most things in life. Do you think that we'll maybe we'll get be, be getting more savvy as time marches on and we're and we're more used to how this system operates? Yeah, I think it's partly that. I think it's also partly that it, it doesn't stand out as much the more times it happens. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're, it's a big deal. Um, it, it's a big deal when a brand... Um, would pull out of a show, you know, a few years ago, and now it's getting to be a routine. And so, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I do think they're starting to get used to it. And I think that, you know, when when people start playing this card every time a host says something, and they start saying it in cases where it's not quite what they thought it was, you know, like the, um, forgive me, but the uh, the the event that happened in Washington D.C. Um, with the students that were there, and the media went crazy instantly. Right, right? the Covington and, kids. Right, yeah, and then, and then people started apologizing for the knee-jerk reaction because they really didn't follow any kind of you know process of due diligence to say, are we right in making the assessment that we're making? Should we do such a quick trial of these people as soon as the event occurs? You know, I think that's a good example where people move too fast 
and realized, oh, we actually did move too fast. This was probably not the right way to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think the more times that things like that happen, the more people are going to start to be a little bit more discerning. And the more commonplace it is when you realize there's going to be a Fox News protest every fiscal quarter (laughs) or maybe even monthly, Uh it's like, okay, well, it's 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 not news anymore. It's not that big a deal anymore. And so I think, you know, there's there there may be a backfiring um, of organizations um, that are using this tactic where every time they do it, it loses a little bit of its power. Mm -hmm. And so I think people are going to react to that. But, you know, in this in the sense of immaturity, I've been I've been a firsthand witness to these things happening with different brands, whether it's a radio show or a podcast or a TV show. And a lot of times what goes on is the people that react the quickest. A lot of times you have 20 somethings, you know, especially with the, the, the consumer direct to consumer brands, you know, tech companies, people that were nothing two years ago and now they're worth a billion dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars. And the same people that are making these decisions might have graduated from college two years ago. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden they're trying to deal with a national you know, political scandal or the perception thereof. And, and they don't have the, the maturity or the experience to know exactly how to you know, slow down mm-hmm. <laughs> and don't just, don't just react so quickly. Don't be so quick to draw your weapon because that may come back to get you. And so I do think some of it's a reflection of lack of experience on the part of the marketer. Some of it's the fact that the marketplace has changed. These cycles have changed. And yeah, I do see a diminishing effectiveness of this over time. And something I've been forecasting for a while now is that, you know, they're really going to start to regret this if the right starts doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And in this case with Nike, I think that may be happening. And frankly, I don't think that this is great for anybody, no matter who does it. I don't I don't think that corporate boycotts are generally the the best way to get your point across um, or a sustainable model. Um, But, you know, when everybody's doing it to everybody, it's just like, okay, this is a race to the bottom now. And that was my next question. Then this, you had a uh, a column in thehill.com, which I'll link to at the show notes page at hollywoodintoto.com. I think it was a few weeks back. And you said this is the exact line, which is kind of what you just intimated recently. What will we do when conservative activists apply like-minded pressure toward liberal talent every time they say something controversial? Now, you mentioned the Nike case and Laura Ingram has kind of jumped on there. Why hasn't it happened yet? Is it just sort of a a different mindset between the two ideological camps? I can't tell you why it hasn't happened yet. Um, I, you know, I, I'm really not here representing one um, side of the sure, political sure. spectrum. But I, I, what I'd like to believe is that it's because they realize this is not a this is not a great tactic. Uh, for if you for the long game that everybody is hopefully playing here to you know win hearts and minds and influence people, uh, this is a way to alienate people. This is a way to you know make it us versus them, no matter which side you're on. And if that's the if that's the you know what's being uh, deployed, um, then you end up really branding yourself as you know this with us or against us thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just bad for business. That's you know, you're, how far can you scale a business if you only appeal, you know, if I can only, uh, sell my, uh, you know, my, my pillow or my toothbrush to, to half of the country, um, or, or the third of the country that's like decidedly of one position, 
um, that's not necessarily a good market strategy. So, so why would you do it? And you don't want to invite more crossfire. Yeah, I guess I don't know whether he actually said it or sort of it's ricocheted around the, the globe. But there's an old saying that Michael, ja- uh, sorry, Michael Jordan said that Republicans buy sneakers too. And I, it, again, even if it's not technically accurate, I get the message behind that. It does seem restrictive. I, I want to switch gears a little bit. You, you're the CEO and founder of an ad agency, Oxford Road. I'm just kind of curious. It's 2019. It, it feels like in so many ways. Our culture, our marketplace is vastly different than it was like 10 years ago. Do you feel that? And do you do you think that the work that you do now is is maybe in some ways very different than what you used to do? Or, or are the essentials all the same and maybe some minor nips and tucks along the way? Great question. And I, I think it's both. I think in many ways, the old fundamentals apply and always will. You know, I as a marketer, I still swear by David Ogilvy's Ogilvy on advertising or confessions of an ad man. And, you know, that was written in the 60s. Um, so I think that there are some things that are tried and true and always important at the same time, you've got technology that is ever increasing at its rate of change. And so, you know, when I launched six years ago, it was a different world. Mm -hmm. Culturally, this is, you had Obama in office. This was before the me too movement and things had been changing from, you know, the years prior to that. It's always changing, but I think it's changed even more so. And the changes in technology are really making an impact now as um, as we start to see different channels evolve. You know, I think, for example, podcasts, you know, the thing that's bringing us together right now, it was so nascent. And we launched the business because this was a real growth sector and it was undiscovered territory and a new opportunity for advertisers um, that, that they were able to find great efficiencies by by using the channel today. You know the word is out, and it's like you know, it's it's still a great channel for advertisers. It's still a great opportunity for marketers. But you know, think about what's going to happen with with as the the internet of voice emerges, and you know, you, you when we start moving into a post smartphone era, and all of your speakers are smart, and you can start to do things with your mouth and with your ears that were previously only possible with your eyes and fingers, um, the world is changing over once again. And what's a podcast when, you know, every speaker can give you any kind of information and it's all interactive to even call it a podcast anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, I, I do think that the world is changing very, very quickly and will increasingly do so uh, in the coming years. Yeah, it's fascinating. One last question. Is there anything, uh, is there any particular tool in your toolkit now that you didn't have six years ago that excites you as sort of a, oh, I'm so glad I've got this opportunity to use X because as an advertiser, I, I need that so desperately or, it's, or it comes so quickly and handy? Well, you know, for us, we have a, um, a product offering that, that we use for our campaigns called Audiolytics. And this is, you know, we basically uh, identified what are the key drivers that influence human behavior. And we figured out how to make it um, so that we can uh, evaluate an advertisement um, or any communication piece, really, that's intended to um, influence human behavior. And we've identified nine key components and 71 subcomponents that are mm-hmm. all weighted um, that we can actually use to score a piece of communication and figure out how to optimize it. And we're seeing very powerful things in the marketplace when we apply that. 
Um, but, you know, of course, there are always media tactics that are evolving and there's new opportunities every day. Uh, but I would say, you know, the, the advancements we've made with Audiolytics uh, in our ability to, you know, to help brands grow uh, has been really a powerful one that I'm, I'm glad that we've kept working on. Uh-huh. Gotcha. It's a fascinating age. I have to say, I, I almost like to just step back and look at how things are evolving. And I talk to my son sometimes who's 10 and I say, you know, you're going to see a technological world in 10 to 20 years that makes everything today look kind of analog, but uh, it's just amazing. But right. Dan, thank you so much for joining the HitCast. You can find out more about Dan and his ad agency, Oxford Road, by visiting OxfordRoad.com. Also, while you're there, you can sign up for their weekly newsletter to find out all the things that are happening in advertising, kind of keep up to speed. And it's just, you know, I think in many ways, advertising is kind of expanding and I think a lot of our lives are touching on it in ways that maybe weren't possible a few years ago. So definitely keep in the know with that newsletter. Thanks again, Dan, and maybe we'll check in with you down the road. Thank you, Christian. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Fiera is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START, MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Fiera is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.